everybody i am sean graham scott physically distancing on an aircraft carrier scott how are you oh you know uh <laughs> I, i'm you know i've been better i've been worse okay eh, we're here we're right. here i should say you're it's not my... actually on an aircraft carrier that is your refrigerator that people might be hearing yeah okay and I, I don't think it's that loud, but <laughs> maybe I just have very sensitive ears here on a Wednesday afternoon here in the nation's capital. Winter fully arrived. Scott, I wore our Game of Stones gator today, not for the mask protection because it's so damn cold here in Ottawa now. Yeah, it is uh, really cold, Sean, but what were you doing outside of your house? There's a stay at home order, bud. I was getting exercise. Oh, yeah. There you go. Got to go outside and get the exercise. Yes. I, I, uh, there's a few places where I know no people really walk around. So I, that's where I go. I, I wear my mask outside now, as has been recommended by Ottawa Public Health. So try to get out, uh, get a little sunlight. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, a good thing to do during the day. I went out uh, a little bit today as well to get some air and take a break from the soul-crushing work that I do day-to-day. <laughs> well, uh, let's get off that then and uh, get into what today's episode is. Scott, over the past couple of years, we've had a lot of fun breaking down various pop culture forays into curling. Of course, Men with Brooms, which we reposted on the feed a few weeks ago. We did some National Film Board stuff a while back. I really enjoyed the curling episode of corner gas that was a lot of fun and it's got one of the episodes that are probably the, the one that has been seen by the most people that we have not talked about it is the simpsons episode season 21 episode 13 boy meets curl an episode that's gotten a lot of attention since john schuster won the olympic gold medal in 2018 the simpsons has this thing where since it's been on so long, they have foreshadowed or outright predicted things that have come true. This is one that a lot of people hold up as a prediction that has come true. We'll talk about that at the end, if that is in fact the case, if this counts as a prediction. But Scott, is this an episode that you had seen before? No, it's not. Uh, as as is the case with most uh, old millennials, I'll, say, I'll call myself an old millennial, uh, I stopped watching The Simpsons when I left home uh, to go to school. And, I mean, you know, you see an episode here or there, but there's so damn many that even in <laughs> in the age of, you know, binging TV shows, you know, The Office is nine seasons. I think Frasier's 11 seasons. Uh, Cheers, 10 or 11 seasons. So that's sort of like the max that I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of binging a season, not something that's, uh, the Simpsons in season 20 or 31 right now, I think. So, like, there's so many Simpsons episodes Yeah. that it, it's almost impossible for me to believe that anybody has watched all of them. 
I'm sure there are some people, but uh, no, this is one I hadn't seen. Uh, the first uh, broadcast date for this uh, episode, Sean, February 14th of 2010. So uh, coinciding with those Winter Olympics in Vancouver that are depicted in the episode. Yeah, so it's a nice tie-in to the current events going on. Of course, we know that every four years in the United States, curling Twitter or, or curling Twitter in the U.S., or it's not even curling Twitter, just U.S. Twitter is a buzz with curling as people turn mm-hmm. it on for the first time since the past uh, or since four years earlier and watch it. So The Simpsons really feeding into that a little bit. We do know that a lot of writers on The Simpsons have been Canadian. So, you know, there's some connections there. I have some criticisms for those people in particular. I'm going to be a little more (laughs) forgiving of the American writers on The Simpsons. I'm going to be very critical of some of the Canadian writers of this episode. Uh, But overall, it's uh, it's fun. And And Canada has come up on The Simpsons before. I think the last episode I watched in real time of The Simpsons was when they went to Toronto for the first time. And uh, I, th- I think that was the last one. So it's one okay. of those things. Yeah, it's, you know, it, the, the characters, of course, don't really change that much, but uh, they, they just sort of roll on. So we'll get into it from 2010, February 2010, episode 20, or excuse me, season 21, episode 13, Boy Meets Curl. Scott, we open up on the normal opening credits, but interestingly enough, we don't get a couch gag in this episode. It's not the family on the couch. Instead, it's Grandpa at a psychic doing a tarot card reading. He gets the death card, gives it back to the psychic who drops dead. Yeah, uh, something weird. I'm not sure uh, why no regular couch gag, but, uh, eh, you know, that after 21 seasons, I guess you're going to try out some new stuff. Yes, and and Scott, I watched this through Disney Plus, and when the episode was over, rolled into the next episode, and the couch gag for the next episode is they come into the garage and they all get on the uh, whatever dive or or swimmers jump off uh, the blocks, I guess, uh, into the pool and swim to the couch. So another athletic theme in the next episode. Oh, well, you know, the the Olympics were still going on. Uh, yeah, next week. So yeah, so uh, so we op- so we open up. Marge is in her bedroom with Bart and Elisa, getting ready for date night. Nothing super interesting here to me. The only thing I will point out, Scott, you might not have noticed this, but pay attention if you ever go back and watch this to the detail in the mirror that they have perfectly reflected the lamp and the shades from the window that are above the window in the mirror. That is a 100% perfectly done shot. So great attention to detail, which made me more mad later in the show uh, that they got this <laughs> so right. Um, but okay. over, overall, we open up on Marge getting ready for date night. Anything anything stand out for you here, Scott? Uh, you know, like a few... It seemed weird to me that, you know, she was getting the pre-date treatment from her children, you know, having Lisa spray her with the perfume and and Bart tell her that uh, she doesn't look fat in that dress. Uh, Usually things that uh, would be done by the person you're going on a date with, right? perhaps. But, uh, you know, uh, as we'll see in the next scene, Homer is busy uh, getting ready for the date at his workplace, 
Yes, so Homer is getting ready at the plant. Lenny and Carl do the same thing for Homer, what Bart and Lisa have done for Marge. Lenny has, a, I think, the line of the show right here. Uh, he says that uh, date night is the embalming fluid that keeps the mummy of a marriage fresh after the heart and brains have been pulled out through the nose. Yeah, good line, good line. But I think it's topped by Carl saying, uh, boy, I shouldn't have gotten you that book on Egyptology. <laughs> yeah, so uh, a very good back and forth between Lenny and Carl here. Uh, great contributions off the bench for them uh, in this episode. That's really all they do. Uh, but really well done there. Uh, then Mr. Burns comes in, says that they have found a leak in the giant pipe room of the, the power plant, and they're going to have to stay late to find the leak. Homer says, but it's date night. And Mr. Burns says, yes, I know. I'm going on a date with Prince, uh, Pr Princess Wilhelmetta of Prussia. Yeah, Wilhelmella. Wilhelmetta? Yeah. Of Prussia. So, Scott, I looked this up. So the Kingdom of Prussia uh, went from 1701 to 1918, the end of the First World War, not surprising. Uh, the Prussian kingdom unifies the German population in 1871. This is one of these things about uh, European countries when we say, well, Germany or France. Like, it, it doesn't actually become defined as the nation state is currently understood in the 21st century until much later than you would expect. Uh, yes. So, you know, this unification of Germany in 1871. And the kingdom of Prussia, they're kings from the house of Holzen or Holhan Zellern, I'm sure I'm saying that right, or, or incorrectly, excuse me. And Scott, there is no Willamette anywhere that I could find. What? I know. That's crazy. It's almost as if The Simpsons is uh, making things up. So that, But that seems like a detail that they would try to get right. Well, like so, an actual so... princess from the Prussian kingdom. Well, I would say the most famous Prussian monarch would be kaiser wilhelm so spinning yes. off of that is uh, how you get to wilhelmina right so scott if if we were to push this forward to so the kingdom of prussia ends in 1918 so this woman has to be at least then <laughs> well she had to been born at the very least in 1917 so she's actually not that old in 2010 so she's what 92 yeah, but we we never know how old Mr. Burns is, so he still might be uh, might be robbing the cradle, so to speak. <laughs> Potentially, she does not seem to be with it. Uh, she's brought in by Smithers, so uh, they go off. Presumably, Mr. Burns and his princess. We go back to the house. Marge is watching the Real Housewives of Shelbyville, and she is sad because they have not been able to go on their date. Scott, have you ever watched any of the Real Housewives shows? You know, I've seen a few clips here and there. I remember uh, uh, somebody flipped a table in one of them. Uh, that was a big deal. I and think you're have to be more specific. About on <laughs> like what was on the table? Was it food? Was it just wine? You there, know, I, I can't imagine in the whole canon of Real Housewives, only one table has been flipped. One person flipped a table? Yeah, maybe not. But uh, also... Uh, I've seen some Celebrity Apprentice on which some of the Real house, Housewives have appeared. So uh, that's my entire interaction. As somebody named 
Nene. Yeah, that's so. That's about all I got when it comes to Real Housewives. <laughs> you, you've watched it? Uh, no, no, never seen it. Never seen an episode. No. Well, so uh, this could this could be a, a situation where they're trying to parody the Real Housewives, or it's something that actually happened. I would believe either. <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, so Homer comes home. They are sad, but Homer says, "Hey, we can solve a romantic night. Let's go to the movies because the movie's romantic." And Marge says, really? It's romantic? And Homer has a very strange line, I think. He says, it'll make a walk on the beach seem like a punch in the face. Yeah, I don't really understand it. I guess it means that a walk on the beach is supposed to be romantic, but this will be so much more romantic that the walk on the beach will not be pleasant. Right. Very very strange. So they go to the movies they're sitting in the movies. It is noisy in the movie. And Marge says, well, hey, it's so noisy, I can't hear the announcement to stop, to not make noise. So it's not, the movie hasn't started. So Scott, at what point in a movie, when you go into the theater, are you allowed to be frustrated by people talking? I think as soon as the lights dim, you're allowed to be frustrated, even if that's just for the pre-movie uh, trailers and and commercials and all that junk that they uh, that they send to you. That's my take. Okay, I think you can talk through the commercials, not trailers though. But I think you I think you should whisper. I guess. I mean, what are you worried you're going to run into a, an ad exec from Buick when they're showing their commercial and the guy's going to be like, "Hey, that's my work." Let me like, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, break. you know. As soon as I get into the quiet space, I start whispering no matter what. Uh, sometimes okay. I whisper just to myself at home. So you don't disrupt the zen? Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> pandemic has gone on for a long time, Sean. So. <laughs> um, so Homer says, hey, it's okay. We're still going to enjoy the movie. We have the right to enjoy the movie. People will quiet down. Then on the screen, you see starring Ben Affleck. And he says, we're leaving. And they walk out of the theater. <laughs> It really made me laugh uh, <laughs> seeing that, Sean. Uh, did you see the title of the movie by chance? No, what was it? The, it was Love Formulaic, Formulaically. <laughs> Starring Ben Affleck. Yeah. <laughs> Love Formulaically really made me laugh, too. That is a funny, that is a funny fake movie title. Uh, yeah. Although maybe that's uh, one of the recent releases on the Hallmark Channel, too. Uh-huh. that's right we'll have to uh we'll have to look deeper into that yeah uh so they leave now they're driving down the road they see an ice rink and they decide to go into the ice rink it's a sport that encourages hand holding which is very true scott living in ottawa i've always believed that if the rideau canal is open it is the perfect date uh, especially a first date it's very mm-hmm. easy to, to to establish the level of chemistry and interest between the two parties. So I think the the two of them are pretty spot on here in saying that going ice skating is a great romantic date night. Yeah, it really is because, you know, you've got, there's a chance that neither of you are good at skating, in which case you're clinging to each other the whole time. Uh, or one is really good and can, you know, help support the other. Uh, yeah, really, really good opportunity for, uh, for dates and, I heard that the Rideau Canal is going to be opening soon, Sean, uh, but I wouldn't encourage anybody to go on a date right now. 
because no. it's it's well, not, uh, a first not allowed. Yeah. No, not of course not. Of course not. Uh, but so, uh, yeah, with someone in your bubble, go nuts. Yeah, and uh, they were flooding the canal today, so maybe mm-hmm. maybe soon. Uh, so cool. they go in, and they're told that uh, skating is not happening because curling is going on. It's curling night at the Springfield Ice Rink. Principal Skinner comes over and explains what curling is. And Homer's very excited. He says, this has something for both of us. There's bowling for me and sweeping for you, Marge. Yeah, uh, a pretty apt description of what curling is, right? It's a combination of, of bowling and sweeping. Yes. That's and pretty much the, it. And then Principal Skinner gives Homer a broom. And Homer launches into this speech. And Scott, I, I didn't want to transcribe it. I thought we should just play it because... This the the writer's pens were on fire when they wrote this. So this is Homer's speech about whether or not they're going to curl. Let us curl, my lady. Let us throw and sweep between until the heavens themselves drop their jaws in wonder and envy. And afterwards, there'll be beer and cocoa with marshmallows floating in the foam. And if, from now to the end of time, someone should ask what we were doing on the eve of the 17th of November, we shall proclaim that we were curling. This is what you're like when you don't drink. Okay, so... Scott, before we break down that speech, I want to play another speech, and then we'll decide which is better, okay? Okay. No, it's not just a rock. No. No. It's 42 pounds of polished granite, the beveled underbelly, and the handle a human being can hold. And it may have no practical purpose in and of itself but it is a repository of human possibility and if it's handled just right it will exact a kind of poetry for 10 years i've drilled for oil in 93 countries five different continents and not once have i done anything to equal the grace of a well-thrown rock sliding down a sheet not once Okay, so Scott, that, of course, is Chris Cutter doing the More Than a Rock or Not Just a Rock from Men with Broom. Scott, which romantic speech about how great curling is is better? I think Homer's is better, Sean, mostly because it's addressed to a larger audience uh, than, <laughs> than good old Chris Cutter. And I think when, when I heard Homer's speech, I thought, this sounds like it could be another speech that they're pulling from and, and are just adapting it to curling uh, is what I thought. I looked to see if there was any cultural reference that it was referring to. Uh, I couldn't find anything though. Uh, so yeah, I would say like it, that was awesome. And that should be, uh, that should be played before every curling game that takes place on the 17th of November. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, this is what we're doing on the eve of the 17th of November. Yeah, it's a little over the top for my taste. I don't like how he changes his voice like that, but you're right. It, it is a, a fun speech. Uh, and yeah, I, there's certainly more energy than the Cutter speech, uh, no question about it. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, remember that after the Cutter speech, he lights the rock on fire and throws it uh, down the sheet and lands on the button while it's still on fire. So, yeah, that's that's something, yeah. 
<laughs> so from there we get the sporting montage as Homer and Marge learn to curl. They start to play really well. We see them on a Zamboni for some reason, um, which doesn't really make sense. Although it is an arena, so I guess at some point that ice would be Zambonied. Uh, and then after the montage, we're talking with Mrs. Skinner, so Principal Skinner's mother, who is in this show a lot from this point. And Scott, this is where Mrs. Skinner invites Homer and Marge onto the team. The Wiggums get kicked off. But Scott, the amazing thing in this scene, I, I again, this is one of these little things that just stood out to me. Actually, I didn't notice it until the second time I watched the episode. Marge is tapping a stone off of her broom the way remember that old tiger woods commercial where he has a pitching wedge <laughs> and a ball and yeah. he sort of just taps it like that marge is doing this with a curling stone and a broom with one hand <laughs> incredible yes. uh, the laws of physics when it comes to this uh, i believe also a little bit later on homer is holding his curling stone and polishing it uh, yes he is so you know uh they're playing they're playing with little rocks maybe <laughs> yeah or the writers just don't know how heavy a curling stone is or they just put that in there for people like us who would appreciate the absurdity it, it is pretty funny and that's kind of hard to do with a golf ball right i like doing that but uh yeah i can get like three or four uh like when i'm really doing well with it you know when you're waiting yeah. on the tee sort of thing yeah for sure yeah so we head home and Marge and Homer are explaining the sport to the kids. Marge calls this the most real thing she's ever done. Now, Scott, if your mother said to you that four weeks of curling is the most real thing she's ever done, how would you feel about that? Um, probably a little, you know... <laughs> uh, neglected maybe like <laughs> come, it's come on it's such a weird line right like here are my three kids thing. who i'm raising uh this this thing that i just started is more real than the three of you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's very strange yeah so mom don't do that to scott don't tell scott <laughs> Uh, curling's the most real thing you've ever done. Uh, Principal Skinner arrives. He has a funny line. Bart answers the door, and Bart says, "Hey, like, no, no home visits." And Principal Skinner says, "Bart, you will notice by my cargo pants that I am not here on school <laughs> business." <laughs> I very much enjoyed that line. It reminded me of another line that I think of a lot from Principal Skinner from one of the older episodes, where he says that a car is only good for taking you from point A to point B, and then on weekends, onwards to point C. <laughs> that line always makes me laugh, too. So, Sean, he, he says he's not here on school business, but he's here on cool business. Yes, that's true. Curling, right. that is. Yes, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then we have uh, some more curling puns from Homer and Marge, like, welcome to our house. I think Marge said... Uh, Oh, he just slid into our house. Yes. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Um, and he informs Homer and Marge that mixed curling is going to be a demonstration sport at the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. And that Scott, they have qualified for the Olympic trials. 
Yeah, uh, pretty great that uh, playing in your local rink a few times on Friday nights or whatever night that can can land you an invite to the trials, but uh, good on them for for deciding to go. Yeah, I guess. Like, <laughs> it's just so strange. I mean, uh, the guys from Rocks Across the Pond have done a two-part series with the CEO, the new CEO of USA Curling. I need them to ask him about this. <laughs> you know, do a follow-up. <laughs> of course, obviously, uh, this is not based in any reality, but they're going to go to the Mixed Doubles Curling Trials. Uh, so that is our first commercial break. That's Act 1. So of the episode, Sean, not doubles. You just said doubles, but uh, oh, excuse me, mixed, just mixed. Yes. Just mixed. It's a very easy mistake to make because of course there is no mixed curling at the Olympics. Although I wouldn't be surprised if one day there were. Ooh, that'd be tough though. That'd have to be a big venue. That's fine. They'll figure 40, it out. 40 sheet venue. Ooh. Yeah. Or something. Well, at least more than five. They have to have more than five. But uh, anyway, all right, now we come back from commercial. We get into what I'm calling, Scott, pointless B-story number one. Okay, pointless B-story number one. Let, let's All hear right. about it. So we're at practice. Mrs. Skinner is recounting the story of how she wanted to be, or she was a pole vaulter at the Helsinki Olympics in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And on her pole vaulting, as she was going over the bar, she was uh, pregnant with Principal Skinner, who kicked in the womb while she was pole vaulting, and that's what knocked over the bar, prevented her from winning, and she has held resentment towards Principal Skinner all this time. Now, Scott, this brings up a couple of key questions for me. One, yeah. who was allow the nine-month pregnant woman to pole is A? And two... How old is Principal Skinner? And I know that age doesn't actually mean something or anything in The Simpsons because Bart and Lisa have been their ages for 30 years. But in the canon of the show, if Principal Skinner is born during the Korean War because it's presented that Mrs. Skinner has an affair with someone, a soldier who is going to Korea, that means that Principal Skinner at this point is almost 60 years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Is it though? Yeah, he looks pretty old. I don't know. All right. So I, I thought that was strange. I, I thought in the canon of the show, he was in like his 40s. Oh, I don't know. I guess I never thought about it. But, uh, Sean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, go around saying, hey, we're going to ban women from competing in the Olympics when they're pregnant. Listen, like, uh, Women can do anything. Women that. can do anything they want, and uh, you know, if they want to pole vault while pregnant, uh, there you go. Scott, I would, uh, I would invite anybody uh, to take me up on this challenge. If you can find a doctor who would say that falling from a height of, you know, three meters or four meters onto a crash mat while nine months pregnant, nine months pregnant, is a safe activity then I will retract what I've oh, said. Oh, I'm not saying it's safe. I'm just saying that uh, if you want to do it, you're, you, sh you should be allowed to do it. Uh, uh, absolutely. What I have more of a problem with, Sean, is uh, she's obviously not adopting the uh, classic Fosbury flop form that we see in <laughs> high jumping and we now see in pole vaulting where you sort of jump and arch your back 
right? Because uh, she's going belly first kind of over this, uh, which allows the kick to make contact with the bar and have it fall. So uh, probably just poor form here on the part of uh, old old lady Skinner. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the 50s. So when was the Fosbury flop? Oh, I don't know. Is that... I don't know. Right? That's, uh, you know what? That, that, that might be something they got right. You know what? I'll look it up. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we then go to the curling trials. And Scott, this is taking place behind the USA curly trials. I did not understand what that meant when I saw the sign. And then we go through and it's a bunch of people who are doing imitations of curly from the three stooges. Scott, who is this joke for? <laughs> I don't know this, who this joke is for. This joke is for our uh, late grandfather, Sean. Uh, that's who the joke is for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's for the dearly departed demographic. It's it's very like, funny. I I was annoyed by it to be honest. It, I thought it went too long, but yeah, uh, that's why I was annoyed. It was it. it was very funny. I thought. Yeah, if there had been one of them. I would have been okay with it, but there's like, there's, there's just too much. Uh, but you, when we get to the end, we'll see that they were, they were pushing to, to stretch this episode. So we go inside the curling trials where we get pointless B story two. Lisa starts collecting Olympic pins. She finds one on the ground from a, another person who says, oh, you can just keep it and be careful. Pin collecting is a very addictive activity. And I don't even want to get into this. It's so ridiculous and boring. Uh, but that's the B story. Scott, do you have anything about Lisa's B story or the origins of Lisa's B story? Uh, well, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting they picked Olympic pin collecting. Because pin collecting, of course, Sean, is a very popular thing amongst curling fans. Uh, yes. At every... Briar or Scotty's or, or Grand Slam event. There's a booth set up where people can trade pins. Uh, there's pins being sold at every event. Uh, pin trading amongst curlers is very common uh, at the club level. You know, if you go to a, a spiel at a different club, you get a get a pin. I've got a box full of pins myself that I don't know what to do with. Uh, and uh, so I thought it, this was like a very good curling sort of uh story was the addiction of the pins you know how it gets to you know she's selling her pearls and begging on the street yeah okay we probably don't need to get too much into that uh but sean did you notice what the name of the first pin she bought from the vendor was called no i did not uh, it was called labatty and I believe it was oh, a bat, nice. and the the fact that okay. Labat was in it made me laugh. Uh, yes, that's a nice pull. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Lisa starts with the pins, and then we get into the what apparently is the championship game of the trials. Now, Scott, this is where things really go off the rails for me. Uh, they are playing Billings curling. Okay, that's what it, the shirts say. That's what the scoreboard says. They are in the eighth end, and according to the scoreboard, these are eight end games. So, okay, great. Now, Scott, I put together the scoreboard uh, by stopping and going back. You had to look from multiple angles through the scene, but I was able to put together what the score is. Okay. So in the first end, Billings scored two, 
Springfield scored one. So it was two to one after one end. <laughs> Each team scored two in the second end. Then we have singles by Billings in the third and fourth. A deuce for Springfield in the fifth. One for Billings in the sixth. We never see if Springfield scores in the sixth. And then both teams get one in the seventh. And then we see a zero for Billings in the eighth, even though the end is already or isn't over yet. So here's my question. So if we, if we take all those numbers and just ignore the fact that that's not possible, the score is eight to six for Billings. And it's presented that Homer has to make his last shot to win. Now, Homer is throwing a red stone. And as they show the house from an overhead shot, red is sitting six. <laughs> yeah. So worst case scenario, they're down by two, sitting six, throwing the last shot. He doesn't actually have to make this shot. But then miraculously, as he's throwing, as he's sliding out of the hack, red is only sitting four. Yeah. They, and then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I, I noticed that they were sitting four and I thought he was throwing. He's throwing red. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I thought I wrote down, they have to score five. <laughs> so, but then after he throws it, you see Marge sweeping and then by the time the rock gets to the house, they were only sitting two. So the, he actually, the draw is to score three. So what I want to know is how Billings can be so good and so adept at removing the other team's stones without anybody noticing. How do they ever lose or how do the opponents ever score? They were able to remove four stones in the course of 10 seconds. That is impressive. Yeah, um, I know there's a little Harry Potter reference later in this episode. Maybe uh, they're practicing the dark arts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, Scott, something remarkable happens uh, at the end of this, too, with the scoreboard. All of a sudden, they weren't playing Billings anymore. They were playing Duluth. Well, I mean, those are pretty much the same cities, right? Uh, come at me. <laughs> So the, the yeah so the scoreboard makes absolutely no sense it's totally bonkers and it's it's amazing so it goes from Billings to Duluth the the scoring this is why whoever is a Canadian on staff that's an easy thing like just don't say like it's not baseball you can't both score in the same end yeah that's it makes no sense that's probably what they were thinking a, right B baseball style scoring yeah yeah so it's a complete unforced error by the show here and then scott so on the shot it said that homer is throwing it too hard and yeah. they're all a little concerned about this so marge is able to sweep it through the house through the concourse that's right all the way around the the concourse back into the building right onto the button so scott my question is what is the most unrealistic thing that we have seen as we've reviewed curling and pop culture is it this or is it the rock blowing up and Leslie Nielsen's ashes landing on the button? It, it's this, obviously, right? <laughs> um, uh, it would be very difficult to break a stone, but it's it's possible, right? It's granite. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is this is crazy, but uh, it's a cartoon, and and that's what the kind of things you can do when it's animated. 
Yeah, that's true. They're really leaning on on the animation. I don't know. I I think, you know, you put a little oil down on the concourse, you could, you could make this work with those crazy brooms somehow. Yeah, like maybe with uh, maybe with your old broom. Yeah. Yeah, let's get Dude Perfect on that. Maybe they can All right, yeah. set something up. <laughs> um, so they win on the draw to the button. Again, we show the scoreboard again saying now they've played Duluth. It also says, Scott, that they have scored a single point. Springfield has scored a single point in the end after the extra end. So the scoreboard says 8, E, and then a blank column, and then the total column. So it says that Springfield has scored one point in the end after the extra end to win nine to five. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I wrote down needed to score five. So I don't know. Uh, I tried to look at, yeah. at the uh, scoreboard there, but I couldn't figure it out myself. Yeah. So uh, not, not great continuity as we end act two. So we come back from commercial. We are now in Vancouver. The Simpson family are driving through Vancouver and we see a woman who Homer identifies as his therapist who appears to be an indigenous woman. And Scott, I have no idea what's going on here. I, I can't even begin to describe it. I was so confused. Did you have any idea what this was supposed to be? So not at first. And then I looked up on the Simpsons wiki this episode uh, and a medicine woman, as she's called, uh, is a character from the Simpsons movie. Okay. So it's making a uh, uh, making a, a repeat visit in this episode, uh, and that the background scene includes patterns based on the Dutch graphic artist M. C. Escher. Ah, okay. Yeah. So it actually has something meaningful. To yes, it. yes, it's from the from the Simpsons movie. Okay. Did you enjoy this? Eh, no. I thought it was like, uh, <laughs> like uh, racist. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not yeah, great. It made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, me too. Uh, certainly uh, not uh, not the the greatest thing to include in the episode. So then we get to the Olympics. It's the opening ceremonies. We got Bob Costas. And I think it's actually Bob Costas too. That's right. It's his voice. Uh, so it's the opening ceremonies. He notes that Ivan Reitman has organized it and everybody is being introduced like they are the Ghostbusters. So it's who are you going to call Argentina? <laughs> this really made me laugh. At like, <laughs> Ivan Reitman has done a lot of movies and uh, but everybody's yeah just walking out to the Ghostbusters theme is so funny. And then. When they get to Zimbabwe and they go to uh, all of the uh, countries that are observing and not competing, yeah. it goes back to the haze. <laughs> like, oh, that, I thought that was really. Is funny. that a thing? Do, do countries like so? So do warm weather countries that don't participate or don't send athletes to the Winter Olympics? Do they show up? No. Do, do representatives? Because they're all part of the International Olympic Committee. Like they could have representatives there. But they don't get uh, they don't get announced don't at the get opening ceremony. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> no, that's why we get the Tonga guy. Yeah, yeah. We reserve the small countries for just the competitors. Yes, exactly. Um, 
So they do the opening ceremony. They have a lumberjack climb the torch. I, I kind of enjoyed that to mm-hmm. light it. And then they're going to release the Canadian version of the dove, which is a beaver. And the beavers, uh, they go and wreak havoc, and the torch collapses because the beaver is eating the torch. Now, Sean, uh, what would you call the Canadian version of a dove? Oh, it's got to be one of the – or it's got to be the goose. Doesn't it's got to be the goose, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that said, I think a goose, like releasing the, the geese – could have caused more damage than releasing the beavers did in in this episode. Well, that's that's where I thought they were going when they said the Canadian version of the dove. I thought they were going to release a bunch of geese and do like a poop joke. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, but they could also just like run at people, uh, hit them yeah, with their vicious. with their strong necks. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I think the beaver joke was pretty good, but a little off the mark. A little bit, but uh, it does open them up to really lean into the Canadiana, which is what we get in the next scene. Bart and Lisa are at the athlete's village, presumably where this family is staying. Bart says he's going snowboarding with his new Canadian friend, Mil Hoos. <laughs> um, and Mil Hoos uh, talks very stereotypically Canadian-y. And we get all the, the stereotypes there. Mil Hoos says that uh, Lisa is hotter than a brush fire in Calgary. And he wants to ask her oot on a date. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she says no, because she's got to get some pins, which prompts Milhoos to say that she's more loony than a $1 coin. <laughs> and when haven't we uttered that uh, description, Sean? That's, uh, that's standard yeah. Canadian fare. <laughs> um, then the Canadian bully comes in. And uh, we see him punch Mill Hoos, and he goes, instead of ha-ha, he goes, hoo-hoo. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty you know, I guess you got to get in these sort of things in, a, in an episode that takes place in part in Canada. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, uh, uh, it's kind of funny to think that every Simpsons character has their own uh, sort of equal character in the Canadian universe of The Simpsons. That's right. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a parallel universe. Yeah, that's happening in Canada. And everybody pronounces things just a little bit different. Yes. Um, and then we cut to Homer is at the buffet. He's very excited to be at the buffet. While Marge and the Skinners are talking, Mrs. Skinner, as the coach, says that she wants Homer off the team because he's not very good. Now, Scott, a couple questions here. <laughs> yes, Sean. <laughs> Why is this happening now when they're at the Olympics? If he wasn't good, why did they go to the trials together? How did they win the trials Mm -hmm. together with him throwing the last rock if he's no good? And also, this is supposed to be a four-person team, a mixed team, but she is identified as the coach. So who is actually the fourth player on the team? Well, Sean, she's the fourth player, and uh, the only reason she calls herself coach is because she has a hat that says coach. Yeah, she does have a hat. Uh, Marge says, uh, what makes you the coach? And she says, this hat makes me the coach. <laughs> you can't, can't argue with that. It's true. Yeah. Um, I did. But now, also like have the, the day before the event starts? Like, come on. Yeah. And right. where is, again, where is USA Curling in this? Where is the high performance director 
to get in on this. You're at the Olympic Games, for goodness sake. This should not be left to the players in this haphazard manner. Bad job by USA Curling. Well, Sean, in the, you know, the way that the Simpsons universe predicts the future, do you think that at the 2018 Olympics, John Schuster's team was plotting to kick him off the team <laughs> after their terrible start? And they said, uh, boy, we really can't do it with this guy anymore. Like, we're embarrassing our country again. And John Schuster overheard them saying it, and it inspired him to go on the unprecedented week uh, of amazing curling and come out with that gold medal. What do you think of that theory? Ooh, that that's interesting. I, I don't think I don't know if I buy into that theory because one, I don't know if John Landsteiner has ever said anything, and two, <laughs> I don't think Matt Hamilton said anything in Korea that wasn't into a microphone. So, so it's I don't unlikely. know when they would have had opportunity to have that <laughs> conversation. But what I do think is that, from everything I've heard, is that John Schuster was more thinking about kicking himself off the team. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it was his right? inner monologue so there, that was acting that way. Yeah, there was that doubt in the fourth thrower mm -hmm. on the team. So, I mean, that is true to life for sure. Wow. Yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty prescient, this show. Yes. Uh, so Homer overhears this sits in a bobsleigh, which magically takes him right back to the Olympic <laughs> Village in one of those sort of fun cartoon things that happens. And we get back to Lisa's B story. She trades her pearls, as you mentioned earlier, Scott, for a pin from the 1924 Olympics. She's very sad about this, but I don't know why she's sad about the pearls. Because if she's that sad about the pearls, like she doesn't have to give them to the guy. Sean, you don't understand addiction. No, I clearly don't. She has to have that pin. And it makes her sad. But shouldn't the pin bring her some short-term joy? Oh, yeah. Like she cries right away. Well, you know. But she doesn't seem to get any enjoyment out of the pin. Different for everybody. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> then we immediately see her busking to presumably get money to buy her pearls back. Uh, we see that her dress is made of pins. Bart is there to help. She asks him to help. And there we go. Um, that's good enough for me on the B story. Well, sure. uh, let's get back. Well, oh, you have more on the B story. Before we move on. Let's talk about this. Yes, I have okay. a personal tale to tell of busking at the 2010 Olympics. Uh, oh, okay. So, I'm excited now. So a friend of mine uh, named Trevor is a guy who loves to play the saxophone. Loves his saxophone. Uh, loves jazz music. Always talking about uh, being jazzy. So at the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver, he took his saxophone and went around Vancouver to busking areas and played uh, national anthems of different countries on request from the people uh, who yeah. were walking around. And uh, that's a thing that he did. <laughs> that's smart. Yeah. He, he probably did pretty good. Oh, I think so. And I mean, he's, he's a real goof and uh, just likes to have fun with people. So uh, yeah, it was a perfect uh, endeavor for him. And uh, obviously something I remember 10 years later and uh, almost 11 years later now. Wow. And uh, I'm yeah. bringing it up on this podcast. So there you go. Did he ever get stumped? I'm sure that he got stumped on some of the more obscure uh, national anthems, but he did learn a lot of them. I know 
I, I remember he told me that he uh, he practiced a lot of a lot of the different anthems around the world. Right. Well, you like in advance of doing something like that, of course, you would learn like all the Scandinavian countries, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. I think you know that th those are the people who certainly travel for the Winter Olympics. Uh, the United States as well, Great Britain. Um, where yep. else? Probably the, China, ne the Netherlands, Japan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of Dutch folks at Winter Olympics. Yeah, they only go to one sport, but or maybe two sports. But man, there's a lot of them there. Well, I, we did spend uh, a week at the Heineken House one day. It was a long day. <laughs> it was it was good. Yeah. But a lot met a lot of Dutch people. It was great. Uh, I don't remember much more than that. <laughs> of course, 2010. That's the Sven Kramer year, Scott. The 10,000 long track didn't change lanes. His coach gave him the wrong information. He would have won, mm -hmm. and even even doing an extra outside lap. So he's in the outside lane for an extra lap than he should have been. Still won by three seconds, but he was disqualified. Yeah, uh, terrible, terrible uh, tragedy. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so we get back to the curling competition. Marge is warming up by sweeping up the snack bar. Sort of interesting strategy that I don't think anybody has ever done uh, in real curling is to warm up by sweeping. But it's not a terrible idea. Yeah, and I, if you want to learn more about uh, getting your sweeping technique down, uh, go watch Fit Nut Curler uh, starting her own podcast and I think a, a YouTube channel uh, with a lot of yes. good tips for... Uh, for sweeping technique. So go check that out. Uh, fit nut curl. Yeah, 100%. Great tips out there, not just to increase your efficacy, but also to avoid injury, which is always important. Mm -hmm. Big time. So we go up to the booth, and Bob Costas makes some sort of comments about Lisa, and he says this was given to us by our highly overpaid intern, Tom Brokaw. <laughs> yeah. And Tom Brokaw says that he loves learning about Lisa. Now, Scott, did, did you find anything about this? Is this in the canon of the show? Does Tom Brokaw and Lisa have some sort of cross-path thing throughout the series? There's nothing that I found, no. But okay. uh, I believe Tom Brokaw... this is weird. I, he might have just retired at that time. Yeah, I think that sounds right. So uh, bringing him in as the uh, overpaid intern I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, it's a it's a funny joke. I just don't I didn't kind of understand why Tom Brokaw loves to learn about Lisa. Yeah, yeah, not sure. If anybody knows, please let us know. Uh, so we and I don't think that's Tom Brokaw. I think that's somebody doing a Tom Brokaw impersonation, and doing Tom Brokaw imperson impersonations is a, a fun thing to do. He's he's got a, such a distinctive voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, then we get back uh, to the action. Bob Costas says that uh, he once shaved Larry Bird's mustache while Larry Bird was sleeping. <laughs> cool. Um, as the, so in the last rock of the semifinal game, comes up short, Homer shot comes up short, but Marge just continues to sweep, even though the rock has stopped, creating a dip in the ice, which restarts the stone, and the stone gets into the house, and they win the game. Scott... Not only now, let's forget about whether or not this is possible. We did an episode all about the rules a few weeks ago, so let's say that in theory this was possible—that if you stood over one spot for long enough, you could melt the ice enough to restart the stone. 
would that be allowed under the rules? Sure. Why not? Right. Uh, you keep <laughs> you keep going. I, although I do believe it says when the rock comes to rest, you must surrender. Yes. Surrender the uh, sheet to the opposing team. I wonder how right. it would work with the time clock, though. Right. Like, would the time clock keep running? Uh, I guess not, because you've. Uh, Could you restart their time clock? It's be like, all right, they're not leaving. Turn the clock, turn the back, clock on. back on. Ooh, yeah, maybe that would be it. That that would be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So uh, so Marge injures herself as she's doing this. We hear like a, a pop of some sort, and the doctor, uh, Doctor Hibbert, comes out. <laughs> Fortunately, he's there yes, yes. in Vancouver. Just along for the ride. Team doctor. Uh, he comes out, pokes Marge's shoulder, and says she will never curl her <laughs> curl again. Scott. This is a Dr. Nick Riviera level examination by Dr. Hibbert here. <laughs> yes, uh, very good. It's uh, I, I love that he he says you'll never curl again uh, <laughs> um, when presumably he just learned about curling uh, the same time as everybody else uh, in the universe. So, uh, right. yeah, like pretty devastating blow to the team. Uh, your best sweeper, right? Uh, you know, yeah. you know, Sean, if you got injured and couldn't play on our team anymore, I don't know what we'd do. What? I'd find somebody else. Yeah, but we wouldn't find anybody as good as at sweeping as you are. Oh, come on. Come on. I, uh, yes, in the league that we play in, where I am under the average age of competitors by, I would say, at least 15 years, I am a above average sweeper. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I would put myself as a straight up average sleeper. Sweeper, <laughs> not sleeper. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's a tough break for the team. Bob Costas notes that uh, this is a crushing blow. This is what we love doing in the Olympics because, quote, we're vampires who suck on shattered dreams. <laughs> Great line, and actually, I think very fitting for what the Olympics, uh, really Olympics coverage at least, is all about. For sure, Olympics coverage on NBC. Uh, CBC yeah. is maybe a little more sports focused, but like not much. Uh, very into the sappy stories. Uh, yes. And presenting those human interest moments to us. Yes. Uh, so then another human interest moment that we see is that Bob Costas declares that Sweden will win the gold medal since the USA cannot participate. And the Swedish skip says, joy is but the shadow pain casts. <laughs> That's a funny line. Yeah, the depiction of Sweden, the, the Swedish people as just like very humorless, I thought was very funny. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, very different from what we see in real life from uh, Team Adin and Hasselberg, but uh, yes. but funny nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, so that is the end of Act Three. As we go back to commercial, we come back. The Simpsons are packing to go home. We discover that Marge is left-handed. Has a bit of a funny line where she says that she was using her right hand all these years because she didn't want to stand out as somebody different. Uh, kind of interesting given her hairstyle. Yeah, yeah. Sean, uh, you're famously left-handed. Uh, any thoughts on this? Yeah. She's very good with her left hand. Uh, very skilled. And I do remember as a kid, like not like extensively, but a few times you get made fun of 
before being left-handed. And there are there were circumstances or have been circumstances in my life where it has been inconvenient at the very least to be left-handed, not least of which is the experience of going into a lecture hall at a university and seeing people in the left-handed seat, the one left-handed seat per row sitting there with a laptop. Yeah, that's crazy. I, they, what percentage of the population is left-handed? Isn't it like one in five, like 20%? Yeah, and they've got one, like one seat per row is for left-handed students. That's insane. Yeah, and this was too back in, you know, the mid-aughts when I was an undergrad. So there, not a lot of people had laptops at that point, at least going to class with laptops. So that, those seats were really important. Yeah. And it, it was partly when you saw somebody there, it was really frustrating. The other part was if you get there, you sit on the end and then everybody who comes in after you, you have to get up and allow them in. And you kind of feel like a jerk for sitting on the end when you were there early enough that you could just sit in the middle. But, I, you know, I need that seat. Yeah. But anybody that wants to donate to your GoFundMe should uh, uh, go to your Twitter and look it up. Uh. <laughs> Yes, please, please do go to uh, the Twitter and get on the cause of more access for left-handed folks. <laughs> um, I actually had some some issue at work too, where there was discussion of should I? They wanted me to move my desk to a different desk, but the desk I had was set up for a left-handed person, and the desk they wanted me to move to wasn't, so I refused to. And I think there was some tension there. Wow. Well, you know, uh, that's something that your union could represent you. Uh in that fight yeah i gotta grieve that yeah <laughs> um, so marge is left-handed then we go to what appears to be stanley park where bart and lisa are there bart's trying to get lisa off of her addiction to pins a uh, bit of a funny line where lisa says is this tough love and bart says no it's more like a soft hate <laughs> which uh, was pretty yeah, good that's good uh lisa gets rid of all of the pins and uh, everything's fine there, but she needs her pearls back. So Bart creates a new pin using Homer's face. He takes the bottom of Homer's face, flips it upside down, and creates a pin uh, that he says to the pin collector guy is the first pin for the 2014 Olympics in Russia that is Fatov, and it is representing the Russian spirit of sloth and alcoholism. Yeah, for a guy who likes to swindle little kids out of their um, precious family heirlooms uh, for pins, boy, this guy sure got taken pretty easily for a ride, you know? Yeah. Uh, really? And then he had a little dream sequence, Sean, where he was, uh, you know, frolicking with Fatty Fatov all through uh, a Russian winter wonderland. Uh, what did you think of that? Awful. Yeah, that was my least favorite part of the episode. Yeah, just absolutely terrible. Like we, this guy is not established as somebody who actually likes the pins. He's established as somebody who wants to get stuff for having the pins. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it seems, and and he was using Lisa's pearls as as well, like a key fob. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure why he was so reluctant to give up, uh, to give them up for this, for nothing less than this exquisite fake pin. Right. And like, is he thinking he's going to get something better than pearls for this pin? Because he he he's established that he doesn't want them because that 1924 pin that he gives to Lisa 
he uses to get the pearls. So he's using these pins for financial gain, not to build a collection of pins, because if that was the case, he wouldn't have given away the 1924 pin. Exactly. So being taken by this pin makes no sense. No, it's very strange. Very strange. Especially as the first of a 2014 batch, because presumably there's going to be more of those than there would be of the older ones. So if he was trying to get pins, like the newer ones are less valuable. You, you couldn't have said it better, Sean. All right, so we are done with that. Mercifully, we're done with that. She gets her pearls back. Everything's fine. So we go back to the arena for the gold medal match. Now, this is important, Scott. Bob Costas opens this by saying, we will return to the sudden death overtime of the gold medal hockey game between the Russians and the Americans. But first, for the forfeiture ceremony of the mixed curling event. <laughs> the demonstration sport mixed curling event. Yes, which is sold out. Somehow sold out. That's right. Yes. And in, a, so, in an arena much bigger than the curling venue. <laughs> where they did it. Uh, for the 2010 Vancouver Olympics. Yeah, much bigger than EGM Place. Too, I, I think, think they were playing at the Pacific Coliseum or something, like uh, at the old arena. Boy, it was huge. Like, just insane mm -hmm. how big this uh, arena is. And all these people are here to watch Seymour Skinner sign the forfeiture paper. <laughs> okay. So weird. Uh, Bob Costas commits to this, which is great, uh, the play-by-play the -play of the forfeiture. Um, and then we see Marge and Homer come in. Marge says, I'm good to go. I can play with my left hand. And she says, let's give this Olympics a miracle. And then Homer says, but this time on ice. <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh. Uh, that only works because Bob Costas is there, I think. It's, uh, it's, pretty, it's a pretty funny line. Uh, it shows a bit uh, how short-sighted a lot of uh, sports fans can be, you know, uh, yes. not always remembering the history. For sure. And uh, we certainly see that with Homer. Uh, we go straight to the last rock of the game, Scott. No no need to pay attention to anything else that happens. Now, we don't see a scoreboard at all here, but we are told that if Homer gets this rock on the button, that they will win the gold medal from the Swedes. Now, Scott, the first time we see Homer throw this rock, he slides across sheets. Yeah. Did you yeah, notice, I noticed this? this. Uh, the animation, I mean, it must be hard to animate somebody curling uh, as somebody who knows nothing about animation. <laughs> well, so if you're thinking, trying to think about this in your head, when, when you look at it, it's like if you were at a Briar or a Scotty's and you were on sheet two and you threw to sheet one, that's what happened. Like he goes across that carpeted barrier that we see, you always see out yeah. there. Uh, so that that's the first time we see it. The second time we see the shot being thrown, we see it from the far end, and he's actually on the proper sheet. So that's good. Yeah, they got that part right. So he throws the shot, and everything looks good. We see a traditional sporting montage or, or cut around to the various people cheering and hoping for him. We get to Moe's Bar, though. And somebody says, oh, look at that broom work. And they're watching Quidditch or they're watching Harry Potter. And it's the Quidditch scene. Yeah. And uh, Moe's line about uh, 
I can't believe they're doing this while four of the seven Horcruxes are still unaccounted for. <laughs> uh, really made me laugh. Even as somebody who's never read Harry Potter, I still got the reference. So uh, very good job. Very funny. Nice. <laughs> as they sweep, Principal Skinner's broom breaks. Oh, no. Oh, no. They're down to one sweeper. And then Mrs. Skinner comes over and says, it's okay. Uh, you know, I love you. You're my kid. Win or lose, I'll love you anyway. We're going to go get pizza and ice cream. And Scott, I wrote down, thank God this storyline is over. Yes, yes. I think that's maybe the first time that she is acknowledging that uh, it's actually her baby. Anyway, uh, this is the first time Agnes Skinner is shown to be kind to her son since her first appearance in The Crepes of Wrath. Wow. So there you go. Okay. Now we also know that he's not actually her kid, which from an episode that was uh, from those earlier periods, not biologically at least. Yes, the principal and the pauper. Yes. But in the canon of the show, no one's allowed to ever bring that up ever again. No, exactly. Under penalty of catapult, I believe. <laughs> I think you're right. Yes. Catapult. Um, so this conversation apparently happens while the stone is still going down the ice too. Yeah, you know, Marge is uh, sweeping. That's good enough. So, yeah. So the Skinners have a, a heartfelt conversation in the midst of the final rock of the gold medal game of the 2010 Olympics. Um, Marge sweeps it. They score four points. We don't know what they needed, but they score four points. They win the game. And Bob Costas in great celebration says that this demonstration gold is the only medal for the USA at this Winter Olympic Games. Scott, he just <laughs> said that the Americans were in overtime of the gold medal hockey game. What is happening? Yes, that is in uh, the goofs section uh, uh, for this episode. He's, uh, he's obviously just caught up in the moment, you know? But that game is has to be over. It was in overtime before the curling game started. Yep. <laughs> and this is Bob Costas. This isn't some Johnny come lately. Bob Costas knows what he's doing. He has it planned what he's going to say in a big moment. Uh, also, Sean, demonstration medals don't count in the Olympic medal standings. Uh, they do not. Uh, and also at the 2010 US or 2010 Winter Olympics, the United States won 36 medals, including eight golds. So it's a lot of medals. Yeah. Bad job by by Bob Costas here. Bad bad job there. So um but the Americans win, Homer and Marge win the gold medal. We see Homer wave the Swedish flag for like one of these he's dumb jokes. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually gets the American flag then we see the medal ceremony mrs skinner gets a medal for some reason again we never see her actually participate in the game because if she has time scott to have a conversation with her son that means she wasn't in the house holding the broom yeah who needs who needs somebody in the house holding the broom when you've got the the best sweeper in the world in marge simpson on your team i guess and and this was the era of the illegal now illegal broom that's I true guess. yeah 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 so uh she had a, an early a lot more control yeah um we see them get the medals mrs skinner says tell me how my ice tastes to the swedish team who are upset and crying <laughs> and to take us out 
we have a segment of Homer and Fatov rush, or dancing to Russian music. And Scott, this is where I realized that, oh my God, they did not have enough to get to 22 and a half minutes for an episode. Yeah, which is pretty crazy, right? Uh, yeah. Pretty... Show us more shots. You don't have to go right to the last shot of the gold medal game. Yeah, yeah. But give us more of the Swedes. But Sean, you know the, the animating those curling scenes is pretty tough, so... Yeah, it is. And uh, and that takes us to the credits, brings us home. So there you have it, Scott. Anything else from the episode that we missed? I, I can't imagine we've missed anything, given that we've been talking for uh, all over an hour. So, uh, no, yeah. I, I think we've got everything uh, there sorted out. Uh, overall, Sean, I, I like this. Uh, you know, it was it was pleasant to watch. There was a few good laughs. And uh, now that Disney Plus uh, has The Simpsons, which I guess they've had for a long time, uh, maybe I'll go back and watch some more. Okay. So you're high on this one. I, I would say I'm like, I'm lukewarm. I would say this is like a mid, sort of middle of the road Simpsons episode. Okay. Interesting. Because I hate it. Wow. I I would rather go back and watch the National Film Board stuff. I, I'll Give me the curlers. Any day of the week over this episode. I couldn't stand this. Damn. And it reminded me of why I stopped watching the show. This it's just and it's not like the most fun I had was like pausing and looking at the scoreboard to see how ludicrous the scoreboard was. Yikes. Like the 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 Skinner subplot, like I don't care. Lisa and a addiction to pins, like what? Like it to me that doesn't I, again, I don't care. There's no stakes in that. It would have been more fun to me if Lisa became some sort of like curling analytic person in some regards or 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 even lean into Bart's Canadian friends some way. Uh, do something with that. The pin thing just didn't work for me at all. And for an episode that is about curling, we don't see a lot about curling uh, or of the curling there. So I, I don't know. It just it felt somewhat fragmented to me. It's if you like curling, there are some jokes in here that you'll enjoy. So I would say for curlers, a mild recommend, but it's not something that I'm probably ever going to seek out again. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. I might go uh, once we're done here, Sean, and watch the monorail episode just because that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. See, those early ones when Conan O'Brien and all those people were still on. Yeah. Screen. Or uh, that's... Hank Scorpio and uh, the yeah. Hammock District. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the hammock districts. <laughs> um, yeah like those are those are the sweet spots so uh this one yeah yeah mild recommend for curlers but otherwise probably a pass for me there you have it so there you go all of our news and uh thoughts on the season 21 episode of the simpsons boy meets curl so if you want to go watch it, you can let us know if we are dead wrong, if this is like the greatest curling thing ever. Scott, if you had to rank this amongst the things we watched, where would you put it? I'd put it above the National Film Board, uh, but below everything else. Okay. I would put it a, below the curlers. I enjoyed the curlers one, but I did not enjoy Gone Curlin as much. So I'd put it above Gone Curlin, below the curlers, then Corner Gas, then Men with Brooms, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, 
I can see that. Well, good. I'm I'm glad you can see that. Um, so, elsewhere in the world of curling, just a real quick news update. Uh, we've had some more teams announce for the bubble. Uh, Quebec, Mike Fournier uh, has accepted the women's team. I always forget the name. I'm so sorry. Uh, but they have also accept, accepted Scott. Could you look that up for me? Uh, with the, the team from Quebec. And, and I always hate that I, I forget that. I forgot that since it's been announced. Uh, out in BC, uh, Jim Cotter, Corinne Brown were announced. Alberta, it's going to be Brendan Botcher and the defending champions on the women's side, Laura Walker, will be representing Alberta. And I will say, Scott, we had an interesting statement from Team Hardy that came out. They said they were very disappointed in curling Alberta's decision. They felt that Alberta should get three spots and that that could be achieved by curling Alberta, naming them Team Hardy as Team Alberta. And then Brendan Botcher and Kevin Cooey would get wildcard spots, really throwing fire. I don't know much about Team Hardy, other than they're you know a tour team that has had, had some success, but they were coming out hot on that uh, statement. I don't think I agree with them, but I can appreciate the uh, the fire through which uh, they released that statement. So, uh, kind of interesting development out there in Alberta. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was an interesting take, to be honest. Uh, I didn't know yeah. that they were leading the tour. So uh, interesting to hear. The Alberta tour. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the, the, apparently they led the Alberta tour last year as well. But it's one of these things, too, that, you know, you always hear athletes say, you know, you want to win, right? You, know, you want to win to earn your spot. And I don't know, like, that, that was my thought when I read this. It's like, don't you want to, like, win the spot? supposed to have it given it given to you now their position would be well we've won the spot we earned the spot by going and competing mm -hmm. out on tour so you know just uh, sort of an interesting situation there uh elsewhere in the country in new brunswick an uh, interesting development andrea crawford was offered the scotty's position by new brunswick curling and has declined citing the work commitments and the need to Quarantine on both ends. I believe the team has frontline workers there. So this is now the, I believe, third team on the women's side that has declined the opportunity to go to the bubble. And, and Scott, the only thing I could think of when I, I was thinking about this after the statement came out is that the curling world is a bit of a microcosm here of the world at large where the burdens of the pandemic are falling at a heavier percentage on women than on men. And there's a lot of studies of the economic impact on this relative to men and women. And we're seeing that a little bit in the world of curling based on who has declined invitations. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It's uh, unfortunate to see. And it, yeah, it's and it's also sort of the, the divide between the pros and Joes of curling is something that we're seeing, too, um, yep. that the teams that aren't uh, able to go on tour and, and curl full time are the teams that aren't able to take, you know, the amount of time required to get into the bubble. So uh, that divide there is growing even bigger on a year like this, which is not uh, not that good. So I think that covers everything that we did not talk or the development since last week. 
Uh, Scott, do you have that Team Quebec for me? It's it's Team St. Georges, Sean. Ah, yes, of course. Uh, so they will go into the bubble in Calgary representing Quebec on the women's side. So I think that puts us up to date on everything going on as it relates to the bubble. And again, see what happens as we get closer and closer. We're inside a month now to when the Scotties is scheduled to start. So getting pretty close, Scott. Getting close, getting excited. Yeah, so uh, we'll see how this all plays out. We'll have to see how it plays out. So uh, <laughs> that'll do it for this week, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show, wherever it is you get your podcast. Do the likes, the ratings, the comments, all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Game of Stones Pod. You can also email the show. Let us know what you want to hear. Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. And you can find us over at GameOfStonesPod.com. All of our episodes are there, plus the merch to the T-shirts. And, of course, we are matching the proceeds for all the T-shirts to donate to Food Banks Canada. Scott, we said last week we would update the total, which I believe we did. Uh, we, we combined the numbers because... We've been going back and forth on the contributions. So, Scott, what is our grand total? Uh, we're sitting at $1,100, Sean. $1,100 contributed. Nice. That's, uh, that's good. It's very good. It's better than I thought we would get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so $1,100 to Food Banks Canada through the T-shirts. So thank you, everybody who has purchased one. And, uh, you know, they continue to be available, and we will continue to match. But as I always like to say, if you don't want a T-shirt, you just want to donate to Food Banks Canada or your local food bank, or somewhere like the Sandra Schmerler Foundation, you're certainly not going to hear any arguments from us. But if you do want a t-shirt, they're available. Absolutely. So that will do it for this week. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. We will be back with you next week. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. <laughs>